on this episode of What on Earth Can We Do? Colleen fears for her kids' future. Gregory tries to be cool with the millennials. And we learn how we can support the youth movement. So, this episode is about youth, our youth. Yes. And what they're doing about the environment and the climate. And let me tell you, they're doing a lot. It's a different world that they are currently living in. Absolutely. So, if anybody's wondering, we won't say exact ages, but when I was younger, there there was no internet until I was probably in high school. Yeah, I distinctly remember sometime in 1996 in my social class, the teacher coming in and saying, everyone's doing the math now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, My teacher coming in and saying, hey, there's this thing called the internet. And I remember her pulling up a website and that has changed the conversation completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the way that we've used the internet is completely different. When I was younger, I didn't, I didn't give the environment a single thought. And it's crazy. It's crazy just seeing the, the difference now and what our youth is, is seeing and what sort of information they have access to and um, what they're doing about it. I, I think I started to get interested in the environment when I was in grade five. I had this book that I got from one of those book fairs, and it was all of these experiments to do with... Uh, sustainability wasn't even a word back then that we used, but it was uh, eco-friendly stuff that you could do, and it was just learning about how the planet worked and that sort of thing. But what was interesting back then was that the environment was an interest that you could have. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a necessity of conversation, and mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I, that's what's different. But uh, what on earth can we do? I mean, I, this subject today for me is... Uh, I mean, I'm 39 years old, the world. Oh, you said it. I said it. <laughs> Everyone who's okay, fine. I'm thirty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who's currently doing the math on the <laughs> trying to figure out if you got if you guessed thirty-nine, you were correct. <laughs> um, but the reason that I really wanted to do this this episode is uh, just being somebody who is I'm currently middle-aged, which is nuts to think. Just seeing the seeing the world now and wondering what I can do to support younger people. But your experience is is much different because I I don't have kids. I'm never Mm -hmm. going to have kids. I'm a really great uncle. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you are a mom of your daughter's one and a half. Yeah, Yeah. one and a half now. And so your what on earth can we do is very different. It's one of those fears that I have as a parent that, you know, I'm going to be leaving this earth in a much worse spot for my child than when I was a kid. So it's what can I do so that I am leaving this earth in the best place possible, but also teaching my daughter what she can do so that we're taking steps in the right direction as opposed to creating more harm. It's, as you're talking about it, I would say 20 years ago, we were worried about our kids' college education and we were starting funds. And it's almost like the same, but rather than money going into a bank account, it's actions that you can take as a human being mm-hmm. to prepare for your child's future. Totally. And it's just one other aspect. Everybody wants to raise a good human. And this is now uh, maybe more of an important part of that than it was when I was growing up. 
Uh, okay, so should we look at the facts? Let's look at some facts. Here are the facts. According to Statistics Canada, there are over 7 million people across the country between the ages of 15 to 29, and they represent 19.2% of Canada's population. This age group is more diverse, educated, and socially engaged than past youth, and in many ways well-positioned to succeed in today's complex global society. Well, I'm very excited to invite uh, a personal friend of mine onto the show. Her name is Amelia Altmix. And Amelia, uh, I met her through other circles of my life, but I was very surprised to see that the circle of environmentalism is one that we run in as well. And so Amelia is a member of the McEwen University Sustainability Leadership Council, uh, and she has also kicked off her own initiative as well. Um, so Amelia, we became familiar with, with you through uh, McEwen's Sustainability Leadership Council, who received an Emerald Award this past year uh, in the youth category. Uh, can you tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what the Sustainability Leadership Council does? Yes, so they have quite a few in- initiatives on campus. Uh, everything from we did a food a waste audit last year that was really interesting and right in the lobby of Grant McEwen, so everyone got to see. Um, we have a few projects like the stationary station station where we can pick up uh, u- uh, unused stationary items for free, which is really nice as a student. You definitely want free things. Uh, but then there's also also projects that sustainability, the Office of Sustainability does, like beekeeping, which I'm involved in, and they have six hives on building five at the school, but they also have a hydroponic tower, and they grow aeroponic herbs for our food in the cafeteria. So lots of projects, tons. There's Green to Go, which is really cool, so that's just um, different like con- containers that we can use on campus instead of using having as much waste on campus. So lots of projects, but it's mostly volunteer driven. So you brought up the stationary stationary station, yeah, <laughs> uh, which is it's such a simple idea, but it's such mm-hmm. an impactful idea. Maybe can you dive into that a little bit more and tell our listeners what that's about? For sure. So it is uh, a stationary drive. So the year before, if there are students who are in residence and they uh, left things behind, they're international students who couldn't bring them with them, or just offices that have uh, leftover materials, they can donate it to the Office of Sustainability. And we actually have a quite a large garage in the basement of residence and there's so many things that people have donated which is lovely but we all uh, pull it out of the basement and sort it and put it out for the students to come grab and just pass when you're passing through the library which is a good spot for everyone to kind of see where it is but it is yeah so simple and just instead of wasting those things it's just perfectly good like binders and pencils pencil cases paper so always good to just something yeah something so simple I, I think what really stands out about the stationary, stationary station as well is that mm-hmm. it's very adaptable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that it's such a it's such a simple and uh, actually kind of innovative idea that any school could take on, mm-hmm. uh, that any young person could take on. Like just thinking about, I, I just flash back to my last day of high school when you just like throw everything in the garbage and how much could have probably been reused. So that's a really adaptable idea. What are some other things that... Uh, say we have young people listening in or teachers or uh, youth group leaders who are thinking about taking on an environmental project. 
What other things do you think that the Sustainability Leadership Council has done that maybe somebody else could take and develop within their own group? I think just asking people what they want to do is a really good idea, especially like the youth that are engaged. A lot of the things that we want to do, it doesn't feel like there's enough time to wait until we're like graduated and older to do these things. So just being asked what we want to do in projects and what moves us and then just being able to work on those things is really important. It is really nice when we have projects that we think are really important and then we get to see them acted out. I remember my first semester we did a clothing swap and I love clothing swaps with my friends. It's so nice. And we did one in the main level of residence. People could just come down and leave their stuff and then everything was donated at the end. We had something like 20 to 23 bags of clothing, like so much clothes that we got to donate. Mm -hmm. And it was just nice to see that happen like so fast. And even if it was just like in our smaller community, those things are still, yeah, nice to do. Nice. So you have a passion for bees. Mm -hmm. Where did that start? Um, I saw that the city had approved of the urban beekeeping certification in 2015, along with urban hens. It was a part of their kind of like urban agriculture initiative. And uh, I saw that and I thought it was such a cool idea. And I was just about to go to Indonesia on a big travel trip. And I took my first beekeeping workshop there. It was obviously very different than beekeeping here. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was so fun. And there's so, such a calm insect and I just fell in love with it instantly so I came back and then I did my certification course here and I luckily uh, met a woman in my workshop who was my neighbor we live on the same block and I'd never met her before but we met in the workshop and the next spring we started to share a hive and it was three years ago now so oh, very cool so exciting and as soon as I started school at Grant McHugh and I really knew I wanted to be helping with their hives there and because they have six hives and I help my neighbor with we have two in her yard now so I have my own there but there is such a great variety in having six hives they all have their own different personalities so being able to have that hands-on training in the city is so interesting and so Mm -hmm. cool and something I don't think would have been possible like even five years ago before this initiative so it's uh, it's kind of common knowledge that that bees are in decline, uh, which is causing a lot of environmental issues. Uh, but maybe for for somebody who doesn't fully understand what's currently going on, can you share just some of your knowledge mm-hmm. about the decline in bee populations and what the overall effect will be? For sure. So most of the decline in bee population is solitary bees. So there are honeybees, which are the bees that are doing the best in Alberta because we do benefit from like their honey and everything. But Alberta is also the second largest region of honey producers in the world after California. So we do have quite a large honeybee population here. But native bees like bumblebees and some mason bees are having habitat loss. And with other bees still, pollution and chemical sprays with um, pesticides. Oh my land, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> pesticides. They are causing a lot of uh, hive collapse. And in places like California, because of the loss of habitat and pesticides, they've seen losses in hives up to like 50% mm-hmm. on large, large operations, which is crazy to me. I only have 
ever in my power like eight hives and I can't imagine losing half of them that would be so terrible but sometimes anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of hives won't survive the winter Mm. as of lately so even the honeybees just because we manage them their population has remained pretty high for insects but a lot of the habitat loss has affected bumblebees and mason bees and they're like a better pollinator arguably a better pollinator than honeybees so that's the one that and to help them both you can just plant for both of the bees planting like bee hotels are lovely they are nice if you get a good one and there's a few issues with ones you can get at costco and walmart but the ones if you just make one that's always good it's easier to clean out you can maintain it a little bit better for them but just planting out of season things that bloom really early in the spring and really late in the fall so they have a more spread out food source and lots of flowers and things like that's the best way to really help out the bees but it is it is a it is a rough one especially in california i can't imagine yeah Yeah. i'm happy that you went there because i was i was actually going to say well you're on what on earth can we do so what what on earth can we do (laughs) Um, yeah that's that's really interesting um one of the resources that we we came across uh, edmonton area land trust if Mm -hmm. anyone is interested in bee hotels they have a really great resource about how to build your own so uh, your passion for bees has brought you to a new business venture. Uh, mm. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So this summer, I won a grant from the city of Edmonton for a fundraiser for a beehive that I'm starting at the Alberta Avenue Community League. I'm so excited. I love the space there. I've grown up on 118th, and I know the possibility of that area. And I know that it really does just need like more community. Uh, the space, the the league there has an amazing community garden. They actually have a kitchen inside and a large theater. So I can host food-based workshops there. And I'd love to do uh, some kids' day camps and different day workshop series. But uh, what I'm really excited about is I'm starting that at the same time as I'm hard- starting a beehive management service. So I can be hired for either commercial, individual, or other community gardens and just maintain bees there. I can manage the volunteers so people can have a space to beekeep if they used to beekeep and they're just a little bit older. And it's sometimes in the summertime, the hives can, one box could be like 100 pounds. So it can be, it can be tough and it's hot but there's so many people who've been beekeeping for so long and we should still like have that space for everyone to do it and pass down that knowledge and uh and if like me you don't have a space to beekeep because you live in an apartment and you're still learning and you want to be able to share that with people I really love the idea of being able to share that and I've really enjoyed that about beekeeping at Grant McEwen and just having a WhatsApp group about bees (laughs) with awesome people and because it's really weather dependent it depends on what your schedule is as a volunteer, but also what everybody else is doing in their day. So sometimes they'll just get a text and be like, it's sunny outside for the next two hours. Can you come? (laughs) So it is important to have somebody to host that space. And I'm excited to do that at the Avenue League. What's interesting to see is that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this, uh, this venture that you're on is the result of your work through McEwen. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I was so fascinated about the idea of being able to start something like this in the city when it was first proposed and they made the workshop available, but seeing that taken further and like having hives on the roof and really feeling like you can integrate nature better with the city is so whole to me. I love 
I love the country. My grandparents lived in Parkland when I was a kid, and I'd go fishing and quadding. But when I'd come back to the city, it was hard for me to feel like I didn't have that same kind of connection to just being outside. We do have the river valley, and it's amazing in the city, but especially when our winter is so long, it feels like you can feel like you're isolated from nature and separate from it. And I've heard this concept called an urban island from a few beekeepers, which I think is really interesting. And we have the potential because we don't have as many pesticides as they do like out in the country where they grow large monocultures. We don't have the same pesticides. We have more people who are planting flowering things and do have those like flowery gardens that there's such a variety of the honey that they can get and more food sources for bees. So we have the potential of being something like an urban island where it could be our own kind of beautiful. And I'd love for Edmonton to be a beautiful place and mm-hmm. have honey beehives and flowers everywhere. I think that'd be lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Selfishly, I want that. <laughs> uh, so uh, let, let's talk a little bit about being a young person in the the current climate that we live in in regards to the environment. I, I think what our generation can do is listen to you a little bit more. And so I wanted to, to hear what your experience is. Um, I've definitely heard a lot of people, and especially with Greta Thunberg becoming very, very popular, mm-hmm. um, just that there's this expectation that your generation is going to figure things out for us. And so I just wanted to dive into that and, and find out what that what that's like. And uh, yeah, so what is that like? It's terrifying. <laughs> Mildly. I laugh. I <laughs> use the humor. Um, yeah, it's scary, but I feel like we don't feel like we have another option. I'm also a student at Grant McEwen. I take a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy. I love it. Uh, Gender minor. And I I felt like I couldn't wait until I graduated school. I I feel like I need to start this now. It feels so urgent. Everything about it feels really urgent. Even planning things like, do I have kids? Mm. (laughs) Like Things like that feel like this is a part of the conversation that I can't ignore for so many parts of my life now. It affects it. And... It's fascinating to me because so many people don't have their life affected by it and don't really think about it at all. And so many options that I think of every day. I don't buy a coffee when I'm going out a to-go coffee if I don't have my to-go cup. And some people think that's like funny, but like it's just the little things that I think of every day. And of course I don't think of all the things every day, but I'm aware of it pretty constantly. And I think that's the biggest thing is that awareness because I feel like when I was going to school, the biggest thing that we would see plasters on the wall was don't litter. Mm-hmm. And there's so many more things that have been brought to our awareness. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that's even amplified even more when you're going to school. Yeah. That uh, I can imagine it really setting our youth up to be the next leaders in that environmental. Yeah. And as much as the internet have the internet hasn't, been perfect and it has its caveats definitely for I feel like the people who've grown up with it their whole life it's something that you can't ignore when you see these like videos of things happening on the other side of the world because of climate change these the Maldives sinking and needing to claim refugee climate change refugee status and seeing the icebergs fall into the ocean and just things like that when you're like that close to it when it can be on your phone every minute of every day when you can just look and see how this effect is playing out right now i feel like it's so funny when i talk to like some of my friends who are like but what if like 
well, what if it's not like that bad? Well, the next elections, you know, <laughs> like maybe we'll get a bad time. But I feel like those things are already happening now, like the hive collapse thing, like these things are happening right now. And we will have to deal with the outcome anyways. It's going to be a different world than our parents and our grandparents. And we won't be able to have the same job for 40, 50 years. And we'll have to be more flexible in what we do because it'll be changing so much. I think so. I feel that flexibility is going to be like the biggest thing maybe for all of us to get comfortable with. That's a hard one. So as somebody who's 15 years older than you are, who had a very different experience uh, when I was your age, um, what can I do mm-hmm. to support you? I always feel like it's important for people to do what feels the most authentic to them. Like you can be like a ninth level vegan, but that might not feel like (laughs) really honest for you and where you are at your life. So for me, I love community engagement and I've always lived in the city and I've always really wanted to work for a non a nonprofit doing community engagement. And I thought this was a perfect marriage of all the things that I really like to do and do outreach and the environment. So finding those bits like what you're really good at, like if you have like you often have a Sunday off and you don't mind picking up garbage in places. That's like a thing you can do or volunteering with a group that you find really interesting. There's lots of really cool food waste. Um, I think it's YEG leftovers Mm. and uh, you can go help them collect donations, food donations for food that's about to be wasted and drive it around and just finding those. I feel like volunteering is like such a a beautiful one, a really good one, because there's so many different organizations and you meet people who are interested in the same things you are. And instead of yelling into the void, you can <laughs> meet people who are also doing the thing. Yeah. yeah. And there are different ways. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, Colleen and I were talking earlier about the importance of conversation and that you don't necessarily need to have the same opinions, but climate mm. change and uh, the environment is such a polarizing subject matter um, that it seems really easy to pick your side and then shut everyone out of it. And I think that so much good can come from just sitting down and sharing opinion. And it doesn't always have to match, but just uh, rather than that polarization, removing that so that you can learn mm-hmm. and grow together and come up with solutions together. Well, just on the, the subject of staying open and flexible and having conversations, I think, thank you for coming ha- and having this conversation with us. Of course, I'm honored. I learned a lot about bees, yes, which is great. Yes. Uh, you made us feel so young. Oh, oh, it's They're so exciting to me. I did my first workshop, my beekeeping workshop at Astral Harvest. It's a music festival, and my goal for myself, for my knowledge, like I need to be able to do this workshop without my notes and I was really excited that I can like just talk about bees for an hour so I can accomplish awesome. that anytime I can it's a, it's a nice time yeah. <laughs> Great. thank you for having me so what can we do what on earth can we do mm-hmm. uh, well I actually think that we got a, a little bit of a double whammy with mm-hmm. Amelia because she not only brought up uh, youth we keep saying youth, uh, but uh, the the youth movement. Uh, but she also brought up a lot about bees. So I, I think that that's we we kind of have to commit to two different things today. We really do. Um, so what I'm gonna what what on earth can I do? Uh, what really stood out from that conversation for me was being open to conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to get polarized and to shut down and to think that other people are wrong and to feel self-validated. And I think that right now we just need to be open to conversations and to learn from each other and to 
um, know that we're all trying to do our absolute best um, and to be open to education, flexibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just to learn. Always be learning. Always be learning. Mm-hmm. Volunteering was also huge, too. I, I think that that's something that we don't always take into consideration. I think that, mm-hmm. uh, at least for myself, I mean, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, it's really easy to get stuck within our own four walls and think, and think and maybe that's where this subject feels like it's so overwhelming because if it's only in our own personal world that we're trying to conquer all of the world's problems. Uh, so becoming involved in your community and volunteering, I think, is would have a huge impact. That was a big one. And taking the mom angle, um, it was really great to hear all the things that you can do with kids, too. So you can guarantee... Claire is going to be signed up for some of those day camps. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Get ready. So I think giving the opportunity for my kids to be exposed and get experience with everything that's happening in our community that is geared towards making our earth a better place. Something that I would like to close on, uh, just to plug the Alberta yes, Emerald Foundation a little it. bit. So Amelia did bring up the importance of, as a young person, to apply for grants to support you with your work. And I am happy to say that uh, one of our missions at the Alberta Emerald Foundation is to support the next generation of eco-heroes in our province. And we do that through our youth grant stream. So if you're interested in applying for a grant, uh, we have... Uh, many different levels uh, that can help you support uh, can help support your work so check us out at emeraldfoundation.ca and see what we can offer the what on earth can we do podcast is presented by the alberta emerald foundation and features emerald awards recipients learn more about our guests inspiring work through the emerald documentary series available on our website emeraldfoundation.ca And if you enjoyed What on Earth Can We Do, please make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with us on Instagram and Twitter at whatonearth underscore pod. Know an Albertan eco-hero who is raising the bar in environmental excellence? Nominate them for an Emerald Award. Nominations are open annually from November 1st until mid-February on our website. We would like to thank the Edmonton Community Foundation for their support in bringing this podcast to life. We would also like to thank our Emerald Award sponsors, ABCRC, the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, City of Calgary, City of Edmonton, Government of Alberta, and Syncrude Canada Limited for their ongoing support. Next time on What on Earth Can We Do? We find out how we've done.